Blog Talk Radio. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Ruscha. I have a great size. It's The Net Live right now. Hello. Is that me? Yes. Did you do that? Check, 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 check. There we go. I haven't touched anything. Uh, I don't believe it. The cat got to you right away. Your cats. Man, they're killing you. Yep. Welcome to the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate Jeremy slogging it out, as usual, here in the cat-infested home court. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Cat-infested. The cat-infested home court. You walk in, there's just there's cats hanging from the net. There's all kind of cat toys all over the place. You're stepping on them as you go to approach. I mean, there's all kind of problems with that. Welcome into the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. We are back live after re-airing a classic episode last week. We hope you caught that. The re-air of the 2010 Nick Lewin episode. We will have some discussion about that. I sat and listened to it myself. Hadn't, hadn't heard that one, I think, since we did it back four years ago. Uh, we're fortunately a long ways from that, but in some ways not. <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about that. We'll also have College Volleyball Weekly. Jay and Robbie checking in. Men's season is going on. We'll have a World League schedule update for those out there. And a little bit of beach volleyball went on this past weekend, Jeremy. It wasn't really a tournament. At Dodger Stadium. At Dodger Stadium, along with, what are they calling these things now? You can't call everyone the Winter Classic. First of all, it's not winter here. 75 degrees every freaking day. It's not winter here. So what is it called? Just the outdoor exhibition? Outdoor event? It was a real game. It wasn't an exhibition. It was a legit game in their season. The outdoor classic? Sure. What was the temperature? 70 degrees? Probably. But how cool is that? Can they play in short sleeves? You're at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. You could feasibly be wearing t-shirt and shorts watching hockey. Like, I know a lot of people that went there just to say they were there the first time it happened. It was a hot ticket here in L.A. No pun intended. Apparently it was 68 degrees at the drop of the puck. 68 degrees. And it says, show doesn't overshadow the game. So in spite of the presence of beach volleyball, the focus was still very much on the hockey between the Kings and Ducks. Yeah, because it was a hockey game. By the way, smart to go Kings-Ducks. Yeah, for smart, sure. Smart to do that. I like it. Kings Ducks. Well, hey, we again have to issue a formal apology to the rest of you in the country. Our own Brandon Rosenthal is actually in Chicago right now where the predicted high temperature for the day, the high temperature for the day is negative four. High temperature, Jeremy. Not the overtime, nighttime low. That would be bad enough. Negative four. I, I think if we look up the weather forecast for Chicago, it is not going to be friendly. Even by Chicago standards, that is gold. I assume he's there with his team. No, he's there recruiting. Yeah. Only thing is... Can he say 
you should play for me because it's definitely going to be warmer they actually in Tennessee canceled, than in Chicago. They actually canceled school. Because it's too cold. It's too cold. Yeah. Although it says right now, according to Yahoo Weather, which if you have used Yahoo Weather, not so reliable lots of times, it claims it's 5 degrees. So it is a balmy 5. <laughs> and it will be negative 11 tonight, followed by a high of 7 on Tuesday, and negative 4 that night, then a balmy 23. They will get above, oh, they'll get to freezing on Thursday. But the extended forecast for Chicago does not have them above freezing in the next 10 days. That just sounds awful. <laughs> I'm, not gonna lie I'm wearing shorts right now, Kevin. How about your heating bill, ladies and gentlemen? I remember. I remember the days. Uh, let's look up Los Angeles. We will, we'll do a little comparison here. For those of you wondering, here in, we have our own problems, though. No water. No water. Although I walk into your front house, Kevin, and your front yard and steps and sidewalk are all soaking wet. First time we've watered in four days. So we're, we're conserving four, water here. Four days. Four days. Things die, you know. Yeah, Kevin. It's because we're in a drought. Okay, so we're and not... Oh, my God. We're going to be below 70 on Saturday as a high. Below freezing. 70. Freezing. And lows, my God, it'll be low 48 on Saturday. Whew. Oh, man. Break out the Arctic Park. And I'll be outside at Monster Energy Supercross. I'll have at least five layers on, and you can drink out there. You look like the guys from the Super Bowl with their gloves on and beanies and scarves, yeah. except for it's 48 for you. Not one bit of rain here. We had three inches for the entire year. There was a drizzle yesterday. Yeah, and uh, and I was up in Oakland this past weekend for Monster Energy Supercross. That's drink number two, shot number two for those of you ah, counting at home. Hammered. And it was 71 degrees in the middle of the day. Never even got chilly until the very end of the night, about 10.30. The breeze finally kicked up off the bay there, and it got a little cold. But even then, we're talking like 50, which normally it's not even a high of 50 when we're there this time of year in Oakland. Plus, it's probably raining. None of that happening. 70 degrees. It's been more than 12 days where they've had a temperature of 70 or higher in San Francisco or in Oakland, which is a ridiculous record. So they are incredibly dry there as well. Well, that's don't we get our water from close to that area? They are in a major, major, major drought as opposed to we're in just a major drought. We get our water from the Sierras. Yep. Not a big deal if we don't get water here. Yeah, it's dry and things die and stuff like that. But we get our waters from this or water from the Sierras when it doesn't snow in the Sierras, which it hasn't. They have eight percent of normal snowpack, like Mammoth yeah. place people ski. They have no snow. Then we're in trouble, and that's this year. We are definitely in trouble here. So there's your weather. Outlook. Your TNO weather update. Thanks for tuning in. You can tell what time of year it is, can't you? Yep. You can just tell. You can just and, and not only what time of year it is, but how busy the hosts are. Oh. Did I tell you what I did last week? Tell me. So I had a UCLA basketball game on Thursday. Okay. Friday during the day, I was at the NAM show, which is the North American Music Meetings. Sounds fun. In Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Um, huge convention. I was there all day Friday. Had a gig Friday night, was back at the NAMM show all day Saturday, had a pre-Grammy gig Saturday night, and then a UCLA game yesterday. Ugh. Sounds a little bit like me. Not a lot of rest, not complaining. <laughs> um, I will say that the pre-Grammy event that I DJed Saturday night mm-hmm. was written up in the Hollywood Reporter prior to the event as one of the top ten events to attend this year for pre-Grammy awards. Nice. Yep. And said the music was really good. Didn't oh, it? music was off the hook. So here's my little little run here. It's just a small run, but I had men's volleyball last weekend, Friday, Saturday. Yep. 
Then I had volleyball again on Tuesday. Yep. I had a little bit of a respite. Got to get my feet under me, do some paperwork, cleared the papers off the desk. Because Monday, Monday was a holiday. So the kids were here. Yep. So that's shortening my week already. Now I went to Oakland on Friday night, worked all day Saturday in Oakland, came back yesterday morning straight to the basketball game, supposed to help coach, then hung out with the kids, then went to my cousin's 18th birthday, and in between a training for my kids out at the field. Back home last night about 9 o'clock, up this morning for this show. After this show, I will finish prepping for UCLA, UC Irvine tonight at Pauly. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, I will prep for USC. And I'm going to have to look at see who it is. I forget even who it is right now offhand. Volleyball at USC is all it says here. Cal Baptist at USC on Wednesday. Then I will have a couple of days relief, and I will go to... Monster Energy Supercross on Saturday in Anaheim. Nice. Not to mention Cirque du Soleil on Thursday night, so that's fun at least. That's the one, where is that? The Cirque Santa Monica. Du that's right. Yeah. And unfortunately, that overlaps with your show, because you, when you put out the thing for your show, I said, I need to make Jeremy's show, and sure enough, it fell right on Cirque du Soleil. Interesting. Mr. I can't go out during the week, but now I can go to Cirque du Soleil instead of Jeremy's show. It's all right. I wanted to go, I was nope. putting your show in my calendar. All right, Kevin. I wanted to play the bongos with Cam Green. The thing is, is after this show, we're going to take a couple months off of uh, performing. So What? Yeah. Oh. We're getting in the studio for a few months just to focus on putting music out. So uh, everybody's like, oh, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Maybe I can come watch you in the studio. It'll be a little while. <laughs> yeah, you can come to the studio. Come heckle you in the studio. We'll charge you more for that, though. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. I owe you at this point. Yep. <laughs> Been watching basketball a lot. A lot of basketball. My Clippers are doing good on the road trip. Nine-year-old basketball. No, never mind. They are the Clippers. No. Yes. No, the, oh, they, the team's name is the Clippers. They are awesome. the Clippers. Are they Lob City? They're just throwing up and dunking on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Max is... My son, Max, not afraid to throw up shots like crazy. He is a black hole. He gets the ball and just pulls. He is Latrell Sprewell. Nice. He never met a shot he didn't take. As long as he's not choking his coach. No, he has not choked his <laughs> coach just yet. <laughs> Had a, a really interesting article about youth recruiting sent to us by Steve Crandall, fan of the show, sent this morning. I read it. New York Times article. Read the entire thing. Spent some time doing it. And it's about coaches recruiting down to ninth grade and kids committing before their freshman year of high school. That's how competitive it is now. And this is a bigger problem on the women's side in some sports. Soccer was one that they highlighted here said it's a, a common thing. But the funny thing is the coaches don't like it. Parents don't like it. The club directors don't like it. Nobody appears to like it, yet they're all participating. Because if one person recruits early, everybody else has to recruit early. Correct. And the NCAA has supposedly rules against it, against contact. Uh-huh. But it's rules against the coach contacting the athlete. But the coach can call the club director who can talk to the athlete and pass along the information. The athlete can call the coach. Awesome. There's your, there's your widely acknowledged and known loophole in the NCAA rules. And they have actually gone to the NCAA and said, you should change this rule. And the NCAA said, we're not changing any recruiting rules. But then what did they do? They changed the recruiting rules. They allowed unlimited texting and calls for basketball athletes. And they went back and said, no, no, wait, wait, we didn't want to change it. 
That wasn't our, our rules committee. That was a presidential initiative from Mark Emmerich. NCAA, come on. This well, is not hard. And they said, well, we don't want to put down a bunch of dates and, and rules that are just going to be thwarted. Here's what you do. It's very simple. No contact till the junior year. Zero. None. No phone calls, no letters, no anything. Texts, anything. Zero, none, contact, nothing, till junior year. Pretty nothing. Simple. Yeah, you can go and watch the kids play, blah, 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 blah. No loopholes. No. You can't talk to them, talk to their parents, talk to anyone related to them, talk to any of their coaches, nobody through, junior, through their sophomore year. Beginning of the junior year, you may begin the recruiting process. You may start talking to players. That's not hard to enforce. Correct. Because if there was any contact, it is a violation. It's not, oh, when was the phone call? Who made the call? What time was it at? Let's investigate. Let's get the phone records. No, we can't get phone records. Let's talk to this person. We don't have the staff to do all that. No. Zero. Nada. Nothing. You, the coaches can go and watch. They cannot talk to anyone. That's not hard to enforce. I, and I don't understand why they would say that would be difficult and that we don't want to put a bunch of rules in place that will be thwarted. Is that it's what you said? A, it's not a bunch of rules. Yeah, that's a what you said, a bunch of rules. Yeah. But my, my proposal is one rule. There were a bunch of rules, and you were saying that people weren't going to listen to them anyway. So that's your solution. We're not going to put new rules in because people won't pay attention to it, so we won't do anything. They will figure out ways to thwart it, right. So the, their, their solution was we're going to do nothing. And when's it going to stop? Like, they're getting to these kids in middle school. Like, eventually they're just going to, they're going to find out you're pregnant. And they're going to be like, hey, <laughs> so I would love for your kid to come to my college. Don't know if you're having a boy or a girl yet, but I'm sure uh, we should get a letter of intent signed here real quick. And uh, good luck with your labor. They're pulling stats on kids at that young age now. They're going to be pulling stats on parents. All right, mom is six yeah. one. She was a swimmer. Dad is six foot five. He was a basketball athlete. Uh, I'll offer you a scholarship for twenty thirty. <laughs> yeah, Blake Griffin kid is already committed to like four colleges, probably. Right. Yeah. Right. He got a letter. Yep. Along when the birth certificate was handed to the parents, there was three letters from three colleges. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I just don't get it here because it's not good for anybody. It's not good for the coaches. And the no. amount that they're already working and the stuff they're thinking about and planning. It's not good for the kids. And the amount of stress and life choices that they're making at an age that they're still kids. These, kids, these guys are 14 years old. These girls are 14 years old. These are kids. Girls. They're not women. They're girls at 14. And nobody knows what they're going to be. That was one of the things that the famous uh, North Carolina head coach... Anders Dorian, Anders? I think it's Anders, was, was complaining about and lamenting the fact that you sign these girls at such a young age and they are highly unpredictable. By the time they get to the school and they have a scholarship, they're not playing. Well, they're getting beat out. Yeah. Well, think about how much life happens from eighth grade to the time you graduate high school. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. Utterly insane. And other people could be, you could have all kinds of things like 
these kids are so pressured to go to the school and live up to their scholarship that they've already gotten in eighth grade. Like, they could be burnt out by the time they even get there. And like you said, they're getting beat out by other players. They're getting beat out by kids who don't mature until later. They said part of the deal with women's sports is that girls mature earlier. You know better what you're going to get at that age than you do with boys. You still don't know, but I'm saying better than... Yeah, they think they can predict it easier. Right. I'm with you. It's killing all of us, quote. Oh, here it is. Anson Dorrance. Sorry, of North Carolina. Anson Dorrance. There we go. Thank you, chat board coach Hula. Anson Dorrance is the head coach at North Carolina. He said, uh, here's what he said here. If you can't make a decision on one or two looks, they go to your competitor and they make an offer. You are under this huge pressure to make a scholarship offer on their first visit. Wow. It was his quote said, it's killing all of us. And this is a guy who's been at it, 22 national championships. It's killing the kids that go places and don't play, he said. It's killing the schools that have all the scholarships tied up in kids who can't play at their level. It's just, well, it's actually rather destructive. It's a man with 22 national championships. Don't take my word for it, some volleyball podcast host. Take it from a man who's been at this for I don't know how many years, but he has 22 national championships. He's obviously been at it for at least 22 years. Yeah. Come on, NCAA. And Do something here. Zero contact till junior year. What would that look like? Well, that would keep the coaches off the phones, off the texts, off the road for a while. Stupid cats. Jeez, that's, that's bad today. Yeah. I already wasn't feeling great to begin with, and now... Uh, I wonder how we can make that better. We'll figure it out. A bubble? Put me in the bubble. <laughs> the moops? Who's... <laughs> That'd be the bubble boy on uh, from Seinfeld. Moops. Yeah. Not the Moors, the Moops. Moops, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what if you had that environment? 347-677-1525 if you want to call and let us know. If you're a coach out there, you're listening right now. I know we have a few people listening. Or you're the parent of a child. Or if you want to email us later in the week, you're getting this via podcast, thenetlive at gmail.com. Let us know your experience. Let us know what your solution might be to this problem of recruiting. And tell me, would starting at junior year an absolute moratorium until the beginning of their junior year contact. of school yeah, contact. for contact? Like you could Any. see them play before that. Absolutely. Yeah. You could come and watch. You can have your eye on the player, but you may not talk to nor through anyone else to the athlete. Yep. Your mere presence will be the only indication that you are interested before junior year. And as a coach, too, like, for lack of a better term, do you feel a little bit dirty approaching an eighth grader, boy or girl, doesn't matter. These guys don't. About playing for you in five years because you know that you have to be competitive with it. If you don't recruit that kid, somebody else is going to. So it's not like you can take a... You could take a stand and not do it, but then you're probably going to lose your job. I believe to be competitive. I believe that's what's driving the majority of coaches. Yeah, There's yeah. probably a couple that don't feel bad about it at all. Oh, for sure. But I believe that the comp- competition to Mr. Dorrance's quote is what's driving it. If he doesn't make an offer to a kid who's highly talented yeah. at that age, yeah. someone else will. For sure. 
start. Seriously, letters of intent while they're in the womb. It's going to happen. No contact. None. For Divisions 1, 2, 3, NII, everybody, JUCO, anybody. Because these kids, they're getting put into a situation where they have to make a life decision when they are not really capable. Most of these kids aren't even capable at that point, not even a junior year, 16-year-old, 17-year-old. Still, they're not capable. But they're certainly more capable than they are at 14 or 15. I can't imagine committing to a college in eighth grade. No. I think a guy like Lane Kiffin looked at it as an opportunity to make a publicity stunt with that 13-year-old quarterback back east in Maryland. Remember that? Two, three years ago? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. By the way, discussion about Lane Kiffin. Has anyone ever in sport that you can think of been paid, more overpaid, and had more opportunities at which they have failed miserably Yep. only to move on to another high-profile job? Because now Lane Kiffin is where? He's the offensive coordinator at Alabama now. At Alabama! Kiffin should be humping some high school program in the middle of Iowa. That's where he ought to be with his record. Putrid is the word I would use to describe Lane Kiffin's record, not just on the field, right, because he had one decent season. Yeah. Not just on the field, but as a human being, as a coach. I don't know him personally. Nor do I. Well, other coaches apparently respect his whether it's his coaching ability or his coaching, what's the word I'm looking for? If Nick Saban has hired him to be his offensive coordinator, then I would assume he feels like Lane can bring something to the table. Because you're telling me Saban couldn't get somebody else in that position if he wanted. You know, like oh, Kevin, he could have anybody. Yeah, Kevin's got to have some idea. He's got to be like, just because you're a smart football coach doesn't mean you're a good coach. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, you can know the sport really well, come up with all the schemes. doesn't mean you're a good coach. But he comes from that football lineage of his father and stuff like that, so he has the name. Um, So I guarantee you he'll get another head coaching job after Alabama, which is somewhat surprising to me because after three times that you fail, I think that three times is in your out, right? First season with the Raiders, 4-12. and And a lot of people blame that on the ownership. So he got another chance. He was then fired during the next season. His overall record with the Raiders, 5-15. and 15. It's definitely not good. And to your point, that happens in the NFL. Yeah. And a lot of people, like Pete I said, Carroll. at that time blamed... With the Jets. The Terrible. ownership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who, who wins with the Raiders anyway, right? Exactly. Goes to Tennessee. He goes 7-6. and 7-6 six. and six at Tennessee. He then gets fired. Well, he left Tennessee. Well, he, I'm sorry. He left Tennessee during the 2010 recruiting season to yep. go to Southern California. Like in the middle of the night. Right. Right. He comes to USC. 2010, they're 8-5. and five. 2011, 10-2. and two. There's, your, there's your good year. Yep. There's your good year. 2012, they're ranked number one in the preseason polls, right? Have a terrible season. I can't find the record here. Then he gets fired during the 2013 season with a record of 4-7 and seven in his last 11 games. Now, 
He's with Alabama. So here you go. Here's your here's your seasons. Here's your breakdown. Four and twelve with Oakland. One and three with Oakland before being fired. Seven and six with Tennessee. Then quits Tennessee in the middle of the night. Goes to USC. Eight and five. Then ten and two. There you go. Ten and two. Then seven and six and three and two. Nice job, buddy. Seven and six in college is, is akin to going one and fifteen in the NFL. Male caller. Okay. Six one five. Rosenthal. He's calling in early, or is he? No, he's he's calling about the recruiting stuff. I bet. No, his line's not frozen. Uh, we'll find out. Brandon Rosenthal. What's up, boys? What's up? We're surprised phone service is even functioning. I thought I'd hear like a crackling fire in the background. Like <laughs> I don't hear that stuff. Yeah, I've got my uh, I've got my mock turtleneck on. Actually, it's a, it's a dicky with a V neck underneath, and uh, you know you got to go full uh, turtleneck. brandy. Well, yeah, but I'm inside, <laughs> and and I'm sitting by you know the hotel fire, you know, and uh, reading, you know, one of the American classics, Moby Dick, and you know, just catching up. <laughs> Sounds like we might start with a wide shot of the study or the hotel lobby, and then zoom in on you in your chair. Is there a dog at your foot? An old trusty, trusty mutt. No, but I, there's a bearskin rug, you know, with a bare head, and I've uh, I've got a pipe. Uh, I'm not actually smoking the pipe, uh, but it's there for just you know purposes of you know the full picture. Welcome to Masterpiece Theater. Exactly. I'll show this exactly. evening. I'll show this evening, Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> All right, so it's cold in Chicago. We know that. Have you been listening in on a little discussion here? Uh, I just got the tail end about Lane Kiffin. What was that? Okay. What was that? It, well, Workout. it started out with a discussion about recruiting, and we had a great article sent. It's a New York Times article. We'll post it up on the Facebook page here shortly during the show, maybe during one of the commercial breaks, about recruiting being pushed down to the junior high level all the way down to signing girls or verbally having girls verbally commit. You can't sign them. Verbally committed before their freshman year of high school. And we've talked with you before about what's going on here, that this is being pushed further and further down into the age groups. I don't think you disagree with that it's bad for everybody. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's crazy, and, and you're seeing – quite a bit of it in volleyball now where you're seeing, you know, a lot of transfers and I'm not really sure what to, you know, expect anything different. Uh, you've got kids that are committing uh, traditionally, you know, their sophomore years of high school, uh, you know, and it's not uncommon for them to commit their freshman year. So, you know, then once they get into whatever school it is and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the fit. I think what ends up happening a lot of times is pieces move around. So, you know, let's say uh, they need a, a setter in 2017. Well, by the time 2017 gets there, you know, a couple things might have happened. And now instead of having two setters on the team, they've got three or, you know, uh, four. And, you know, it, it's nobody's fault in the sense that, you know, everybody's everybody's honoring their scholarships and whatnot, but instead of going to a place where you thought you were going to be able to, you know, uh, get a chance to play, now all of a sudden it's, uh, 
even no chance. And so now you kind of have to move on and, you know, find out where you fit in that pecking order and, and go from there. So it, uh, what I'm finding more than anything is it, it just gets a little bit tough as far as putting that puzzle together and keeping that puzzle the same puzzle uh, all those years. That was actually one of the comments was saying that a lot of these kids who you commit scholarships to aren't good enough to play by the time they get to the school and then obviously are not happy. And the coaches aren't any happier either because they have players now on their bench that they're paying money for and that probably aren't very stoked about being inside that program. Yeah, you know, and I think what's gonna, what we're going to see is, you know, obviously kids are going to transfer, but I think what you're going to see is, uh, and I, I hate that it's going to go down this road, but I think what you're going to see is as you get closer and closer, teams are going to say, hey, listen, we made a mistake. We don't need this position in that year. You know, we'd like to let you know now so that you can kind of reopen your, uh, you know, recruitment. Well, you know, that's just going to send uh, kind of a trickle-down effect. And, uh, you know, it's going to create even more problems and, and not necessarily, you know, problems that you can control. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of how far, you know, you see a lot of that in basketball and football where, you know, the deal is not done until they actually sign. But, you know, in volleyball still for the most part, uh, you know, a verbal agreement or a verbal, you know, commitment is a pretty solid thing. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think we're going the way of football and basketball. And, uh, you know, I, I, it just adds a lot of pressure and a lot of sleepless nights. I would be a little concerned that if a kid in eighth grade or ninth grade verbally commits to a college, they're like, oh, I'm good to go. I know I'm going to Duke or North Carolina or UCLA or USC or whatever. Like you start to slack. You could potentially slack a little bit. Because you're like, oh, I'm good. I'm good in the future. I'm already there. So maybe you're not pushing as hard or driving as hard. That that would be a concern of mine as a coach, too. There's no doubt. And, you know, it's it's a challenge, obviously, because you're uh, prognosticating or, or whatnot on somebody's level and, and, you know, their ability and the potential. And, you know, Kevin, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, by the time they get to that year that they're supposed to come in, you know, I would say a lot of times they they aren't at that level. And, and you know, some of it is, you know, kind of what you're saying, Roche, is this idea that, hey, I don't have to work all that hard because, uh, or as hard as I would. Um, I don't know if we have a really an answer because, you know, coaches are all A-types and, you know, it's hard. It, it's FOMO. You know, we've talked about FOMO on this show right. plenty of times before. Uh, but you've got to be, yeah, you've got to be set in your recruiting ways and, and you know, and just say, hey, listen, I, I know what I'm doing. I trust the process that you've, you know, whatever that process is. But uh, you've got to have some, you know, fortitude to say, hey, we're going to stay the course and we're not going to, you know, panic because so-and-so's got a 2017 commitment, you know. Um, so it, it's it's tough. I want you to read the article, too. I just posted it on the Facebook page for all those that want to check it out. It is up on our Facebook, facebook.com slash the net live. And read that article. It's a, a little bit long on the phone, but it's a good read. And 
here here was my solution, Brandon. You tell me how this would pan out. No recruiting, because one of the comments in the article where the NCAA said, well, we don't want to make a bunch of rules that people are just going to skirt around. Okay, fine. So here's what you do. No contact until junior year. None. Zero. Not through anybody. Not through anyone they know. No phone calls. No email messages. No no letters, no posters, no nothing at all. Your sophomore year, beginning of your junior year, the recruiting process can begin. And that's it. Because the NCAA says we don't want to make a bunch of rules that are unenforceable. I go, well, this is fine. You want it to be enforceable and clear and cut? No contact. Zero until their junior year. Nothing. Anything's a violation. If you talk to them through somebody, that's a violation. That seems much easier to enforce. What do you think the practical effect of that would be, just your initial reaction to the recruiting process? Uh, impossible in the sense that, <laughs> you know, so having a conversation with a, you know, previous relationship of a club coach or club director uh, and mentioning, you know, it, it just, I don't know if it's even practical to think like that, you know. Uh, and then we kind of get into this idea that um, why is that like not practical? What, but hold on, what pro sports are going to? You know, you've got other kids that are starting to make college visits their sophomore year. You know, so why would a potential student athlete not be able to do the same thing? Um, you know, and and how do you prevent that uh, from happening? Where, they come and visit you know, the other coaches can go and watch their games. There's no problem. You can go and watch the games. Coach and, and players can come and visit the school. You just can't talk to the coach. If it's really about school, come and visit the school. Student athlete. Walk around the gym. Walk around the campus. Meet with the administrators. Meet with anybody else you want. You may not meet with the athletic department. It is off limits. The offices of the coaches or anywhere on campus that you want to meet with a coach is off limits until you're a junior in high school. End of story. So then you're so <clears throat> facility wise and, and locker room and, and things like that, would they still have access to that? Nope. They can go in and see the gym. You can't give them a tour of the locker room. They can walk because anybody can walk in and see the gymnasium. If I walk on campus today at UCLA which I will for UC Irvine and UCLA tonight on Pac-12 Networks at 7 o'clock. Drink. You, I can walk into Pauley Pavilion and check it out myself. I'm not getting a tour from uh, Mr. Matt on Wheels, Brad Keller. <laughs> I'm just there w- looking at Pauley as a normal person. Or you just go online and look at the photos of the Oregon Athletic Building. But that's available to anybody. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's available to anybody. Yep. I can go to the campus. I can meet with administrators because, after all, I'm supposed to be a student. Yep. All that's possible. You just can't have any contact with the coach. The coach can come and sit in the stands and watch you play. He can't talk to you. Or she can't talk to you. What does that create their junior year then? Just an absolute frenzy? Yeah. For sure. It does, but it keeps it off them until they are juniors. And it gives them an expectation for at least when it will start. Because right now, if you're a kid, you don't know if it's going to start your 8th grade year, your ninth grade year, your 10th grade year. You don't know when it's going to start. You as a parent don't know when it's going to start. You could prepare for it. You could hold 
pre-recruiting seminars for parents. People could hold those on how to deal with the process, like a PSAT. You know, in your, in your sophomore year, you could take a class in the second half of the year that would deal with how to handle the recruiting process. And set up a 1-800 number for all the coaches to call because you're not calling my house. <laughs> yeah. But like are, we, are we solving a problem or are we just creating a new one in the sense that who's really upset here? Is it, is it the student-athletes that are committing their freshman year or their sophomore year? Because, you know, there's not an overwhelming number of them uh, right. compared to, you know, the other side of it. And, and I would imagine they've probably said, hey, listen, you know, we were able to decide at our own pace. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of it is, too, just the understanding of the process. If you're good enough and a team wants you, uh, you know, there's a good chance they're going to wait. But, obviously, there's pressure added, you know, at some point or another. And, uh, you know, and that's when student-athletes and their parents have got to decide to wait. You know, is this worth it, or or do we want to wait and you know see what else is out there? So I, I don't know if we're creating. To me, it just sounds like your idea is just creating a, a new problem, not solving one. What about like you're talking like as a student athlete or as a kid in eighth grade or ninth grade? Like, there's no way you can tell people, look, I'm not making a decision until I'm a junior or a sophomore. I mean, a junior, um, senior in high school. That doesn't stop the coaches from coming at you. No, no, it doesn't. They pressure you. Yeah, so it's not like as a kid you can say, okay, I'll start talking to you at this age. And I'm not going to make a decision because I'm in eighth grade. I have no idea where I want to go to school yet. That would be a very mature attitude for an eighth grader. But let's say that happens. But, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you cannot prevent the coaches from still coming at you at that point. And it's not the coach's fault because they have to do that kind of thing to stay competitive. So then where does it start or stop? Um, yeah, the crazy, the crazy part, too, is eighth grade uh, in our sport is, is completely, you know, we can have as much contact as we want. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and some of the other sports, you know, where, uh, you know, <clears throat> I think football, there's some, you know, limitations, uh, but not necessarily in volleyball just yet. And I think Kevin's concern with all this is, is really is the student, because at eighth grade, like I said before, there's so much life that happens from eighth grade to graduate high school. This maturity-wise, what you think is going to happen in life. Like, in high school, everything that went wrong in my life I thought was the end of the world. Where looking back, it was so minor. And, and let's, let's get off the extreme for a second, because eighth grade, yeah, we can all say, oh, that's not a great idea. But even... Freshman and sophomore year. Sophomore year is pretty common for some exceptional athletes. It's windy up there. <laughs> but even sophomore you are not who you're going to be. But even, I mean, you can make that argument too, when you get to college as a freshman, you're not who you're going to be when you leave as a senior. No, but you're going to have to be in school. I mean, you're going to have to put the line somewhere. Yeah. Junior year, to me, makes a lot more sense than all the contact that's going on before that, even without getting to the eighth grade part, even just the sophomore year for school. Yeah. Gotcha. And the influence and, and the things that coaches are able to exert. And, and the question on the chat board is here, how do you enforce it? It's real simple. It's cut and dried. If the coach contacts them, that's a violation. No more of this how many of something. 
Because how do you keep track of that anyways? That's hard to keep track of. If there was any contact at all, that's a violation. Junior year, game on. Well, and I keep hearing everybody's like, how do you enforce that? And okay, well, how do you enforce it now? Well, that's the problem. Yeah. It's a patchwork of stuff. You have to try and know the rules of the NCAA. The coach has to try and know the rules. That's a real problem. That, yeah. we, we just solve the problem for the coaches. It's not when can I contact him, how can I contact him, what's happened here, all these different pieces. And for coaches that are new, don't know how to play that game, don't know how to get to the recruits, and they get aced out. No. Here you go. It's uh, August 23rd yeah. of the junior year. Bam. Game on. You can, you can call the hell out of them. You can email them. You can send them posts or whatever. You can go for it at that point. Why is that difficult to enforce? If they call them on the 22nd, think- it's a violation. Well, most of the stuff self-imposed enforcement anyways, isn't it? Like if yes. you're a coach and you sneak into a high school or go to a high school and talk to a kid and you know you're not supposed to, like who knows? Like it's not like the NCAA is at every high school match no. watching. No. There's plenty of violations now. Of course. But there always will be, regardless of what the rules are. Well, I, I think, you know, part of what we're talking about is just this idea of who are we helping. And, you know, I think there is, especially in today's day and age, this idea of how does the NCAA monitor this or, you know, and I think that there's, you know, that's a real question, is this idea of, you know, the NCAA is being, you know, called to the carpet basically because, you know, some of the self-imposing stuff isn't happening. They're the governing body, so they're having to step in. So now all of a sudden, you know, they're going in the way of deregulation and saying, hey, listen, less rules uh, creates a little bit more um you know, a little less gray area. Right. Well, and, and I'm okay with so, that after junior year or during junior year. But the what's to say, is pretty black and white. What's to say you are a club coach, director, whatnot, and yeah. we sit there and talk and we say, hey, listen, uh, on the 23rd of August, uh, we're going to call Susie and we're going to offer her a scholarship. So now, all of a sudden, we're well within the rules, but now <laughs> Susie knows, and, and so now there's, there's way more behind-the-scenes you know, behind dealings, and, and you're really getting into a realm that I don't think you want to deal with in the sense that you know, it's kind of like AAU basketball and these handlers. You know? uh, and once you get into that, it's just a matter of time before money is tra- being transpired, you know, or transferred uh, to make this stuff happen. Yeah, I see your point, but that's what I'm saying. I is even that would constitute a violation. You, you talking about a kid? Leave, you cleave the world in half until the junior year. Wow, that's going to be impossible. Any, you know, information, any information that's not available to the general public is not available to the coaches. So if clubs want to put stuff up on the website all about the kid, great. But how is that going to stop me as a coach from telling you as a club director coach that we're going to offer this kid and then you passing that information on? Because if that information gets passed on, then that's a violation for you. 
<laughs> so you can't go into okay. club directors and say we want to take Susie, uh, you know, Q. as a scholarship athlete. Susie Q. Susie Q. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. Because if that information makes it through and somebody reports it, boom, violation. But who is going to report it if you're offering, you know, you're you're trying to now. help? Okay. It's the same thing now, though. Who's going to report it now if there's a violation? Who's going to report it now if, in the current rules, you put up uh, Susie Q's name on the Jumbotron when she's in there or have her name on a locker when she's on a visit? Who, who's going to report that? It's a, It's the same... Same issue. It's just a lot more cut and dried as to what is a violation or what is not a violation. I think it makes it simpler for you guys, and it gets you guys off the road until the last two years of kids' lives. Well, there's still no chance of that. I mean, even being in the gym, being seen is... Well, you'll be there. Yeah, I mean, again, FOMO. That's, that's <laughs> the life we live. You know, it's... Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, okay, so now I can't talk to the kid uh, via email or whatever form of communication you're allowed to at this point. Uh, I can't talk to the club coach. So being seen becomes even more important uh, because, you know, now all of a sudden... Traveling more. Yeah, you're filling it, up your it, roster. I mean, I think this this fills up your roster, takes a lot of the question marks out of it, does it not? Doesn't it make less work over the long term? If you know you're going to hit it right at junior year and you're going to fill up or not, I mean, you've got your your notion of who you're going to get, but you don't really have have the ability to lock them down until the junior year, and then that'll probably get locked down more quickly, would be my guess. It's not this three-year process, four-year process. I guess the problem you run into, though, is what if you're – like when we ran Pro Performance Volleyball Camp, what if you're at a volleyball camp now? Or the kid comes to your volleyball camp? Is that currently a violation? No, it's not. And then, no, it's not. Again, now, now you're getting back into a gray area that, right. you know, again, it's the same problem. It's a, it's a new problem, but essentially the same problem. So it, uh, it really, I mean... Yeah. The way I see it right now is you have a select few kids that are making early decisions, and when I say early, maybe their freshman year. Um, you know, there's a good movement right now, you know, sophomore year, summer between their sophomore year and junior year. So you're talking about, uh, you know, a matter of a couple months difference between your August 23rd date and, and the way it is right now. So, yeah. you know, I think when you talk about the majority of the kids um, in volleyball, that is, talking about their junior year. So I don't think it's, you know, that far off uh, than what we have. I, I you know. Well, maybe we're, I don't just, we're just talking about the edges here. Well, what's the concern here? Was that article, was it just bringing light to it, or is there a movement where people are upset that people are recruiting these girls at the age of uh, – 14. Yeah, I mean, not a movement. People, It's just, just bringing light to the fact that it does happen. Gotcha. And I think that happens from time to time. And like Brandon's alluding to, it's not the majority of athletes. Because the majority of athletes, I think, have enough adults in their lives that are saying, you know, don't make a choice now and trying to keep some of the pressure off. And the kids don't want to make choices at that point. And I, we're talking about the edge, yeah, edges of things. But I, I And yeah. somebody on the chat board said, 
hey, you're not talking about anything that hasn't been talked about before. Well, no doubt. It's like music. Oh, you're not doing anything in music hasn't been done before. Every note <laughs> has been played. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't, doesn't mean you should stop talking about it. Right. It doesn't yeah. temper the discussion at all. So, uh, yeah, I, I see your point, Brandon, uh, about that and thinking about clubs and camps. And you can't take away camps. I mean, they're so good for kids on so many levels. You can't take away that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it gets tough, and, you know, right when you think you've kind of figured it out and you can go one direction, you know, somebody plays devil advocate and says, have you thought about this? And then, you, you know, you're kind of back to the same problem again. So it, uh, it's tricky, and I think until, you know, it gets to be this overwhelming problem, uh, yeah. you know, you kind of have to let, you know, things work out. I think the, the one thing you probably – yeah, the one thing that you're probably going to see is the transfer rule. You know, as it states right now in sports other than football and basketball, students are allowed to transfer from a four-year to a four-year uh, without set any penalty, meaning sitting out a year. In basketball and football, they have to sit out a year. Wait, um, everybody else so can just get out? Everybody else can get out, sports mm-hmm. other than football and basketball. Okay. So... Um, you know, there's a little bit more freedom, and I think there's good and bad to that. I mean, if the the fit's not right, you know, in a lot of cases it's for, you know, both the school and the the student-athlete, then, you know, they're able to go somewhere else and, you know, be active right away, you know. Uh, You know, the flip side of it, the basketball-football world is, hey, listen, you better make, you know, the right decision or else, you know, you have to sit out a year, and, you know, at 18 years old, nobody wants to sit out a year, so... Um, you know, it creates a little Simpson. bit of a... <laughs> Ask Taylor Simpson about this rule. Taylor Simpson was a junior at Colorado this year. She's been to three other teams before that, as near as I can figure. More than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a little movement. tricky, and I think, uh, I think that case is, uh, you know, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye, and and certainly I don't know, you know, all that went into it, but, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, being talked about, you know, around the coaching circles. Sean Manzi says uh, it's a two-way street, overzealous parents and kids lobbying from clubs and parents. How do you stop that? Well, good point. Parents are nuts. Anyone involved in youth sports knows the parents, by and large, are psychotic. No, there's a few psychotic parents. And there's a few psychotic coaches, and you put those together, and you're going to end up with some problems no matter what, no matter how you slice it. And there's going to be no such thing as a perfect system. No. There's no way. So it's, I don't like the, oh, well, you can't change that because it's just not perfect. Well, what looks the way it is now, it's not perfect either. So you can still try to make it better. There's no such thing as perfect. As Doug Beal once told me, nothing is a panacea. Was this after you were going at your center to set you every ball? Probably. Yeah. Because I figured that was a cut and dried solution. You know, you want a, a guaranteed win, solution, just set, set me the, the ball. ball. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Well, boys, uh, I'm going to go outside and, uh, you know, do the polar bear plunge real quick and, uh, you know, just get things going. Hey, life. get somebody to videotape it. If you do it, you got to get somebody to videotape you jumping in the pool. And, uh, by the way, Brandon. I, Try the boiling water trick, just because I'm tired of hearing people on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and everywhere else complaining about folks hurting themselves. There's stupidity everywhere, folks. If you can't take 
a, a thing of boiling water and throw it away from yourself and not into the 40-degree wind, then you deserve to be burned. 40-mile-an-hour wind. 40-mile-an-hour yeah. wind, pardon me. That's your fault, then. Yeah, 40 below zero, 40-mile-an-hour yeah. wind. You throw it into the wind and wonder what happens. Those are the same people that pee into the wind and spit out the car and oh, are surprised by the fact he comes in on the passenger behind him. <laughs> same folks. So there's your, there's your PSA. How about this? How about this? How about if I just go do a Portillo's challenge instead? Yeah. Jumbo chili cheese Two. dog with onions. Four, please. I, I did yesterday. I was so excited. I've been eating right. I've lost 35 pounds. But yesterday oh. it was on. Uh, I went to the counter. Italian beef, chili cheese dog, no onions because I was still, you know, recruiting. Uh, and then I that in like a half a second. A half a second. And then I was like, you know what? I need to get another set of it. So I went back and ordered round two of the same thing. Just because I didn't know if I'd ever get it back, you know. Uh, you know, every time you eat Portillo's, I'm kind of like, man, this is my place. So. Worked out extra hard in the hotel today. Got to do. Got to do. For those that don't know, Portillo's one is located. I think there's some out here actually, but there's one located on Ogden Avenue in Naperville, Illinois. You need to go get a jumbo chili cheese dog with onions. I don't think the place has changed. It smells, looks exactly the same as it used to. Back in 1992, when I, as a young volleyball player in the second year of the program, my buddy Jason Brown, we decided that was the place we were going to go after every match. I go back nine years later. I show up for a match just randomly because I'm in town. Where are they going after the match as a team? All the players that decided we're going to Portillo's. It carried forward. Nice. Nine years. I wonder if it's still in place today that that is what you did post-match. Nice. You're a legacy now. Because you can't can't (laughs) eat like that and be an athlete now. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, enjoy the hot dogs. We'll see you later, Brandon. Thanks for coming. Boys, appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, Brandon Rosenthal, head coach of Lipscomb University, checking in. He's normally part of our College Volleyball Weekly segment for the women. We do have College Volleyball Weekly coming up, but it's men right now. So we have Jay Hasek and Rob on the mic being a part of our program. We're going to take a short break. Uh, Thanks to Brandon for being a part of the show today, and we'll be right back with College Volleyball Weekly. The men's season is in full swing. We'll have a new poll for you. I think we're going to have another new number one. Imagine Dragons, by the way. I was on this train early. I'm uh, to the point where I'm tired of them right now. I I'm was too. too We're going to talk about it when we come back. All right.
Everything was radioactive last year, by the way. Everybody that did anything with a cool pump-up video, it was radioactive, including Moto Movies, as well as uh, something I voiced for the U.S. Ski Team. It was was all radioactive. I remember I played that song on this episode before there was It's Time song was there, had already been out, but nobody had heard the radioactive song on the radio yet, and I played it on the show, and I had played it in other events, and people were like, what is this? And then now they're like, oh my god, I love Imagine Dragons. And that, Kevin, is where the DJ world has changed, where before, my job was to educate you. Okay. Now people think my job is to be a jukebox. Entertain you. I was entertain, me, entertain them. Yes, 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 yes. So wait, who, who introduced you I believe to Imagine Dragons? I actually will give you full credit on that, Kevin. Yes! Yep, you get full credit. You... What song was it? Now, I will have to give full credit where it's due to my smoking Hot Trophy wife. Yeah, yeah, your wife. Arian, yeah, yeah, who introduced yeah. me, said, hey, I think you'd like Imagine you, Dragons. Yes, I give you full credit, and I think it was the Radioactive song, which was the first song on their EP, That um, because when you introduced me to it, it was just it's their just EP sick. out. Yeah. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, I really like that song, and then obviously like the other songs, and then now they have, they won a Grammy for Best Rock Album. Nice. That album won. Yep. Continued Silence. Yep. And their performance last night with Kendrick Lamar, who's a rapper. Yeah. Kevin, just in case I, you didn't I've know. I've heard of him. Yes. Um, <laughs> their performance was one of my... I, I was rocking out in my house last night during their performance. Their, it was one of my favorite performances from the Grammys last night. I heard the Grammys were good. Pharrell? I, there was a lot of tweeting about Pharrell's hat. First of all, it was awful. <laughs> I'm going to look up a picture because I just heard about it this morning. I did it not was a see Canadian it. Mountie hat, Kevin. Really? Or Smokey the Bear PSA hat. That's what people said. It was bad. And, like, Pharrell is a fashion-forward guy, and I like Pharrell. <laughs> I like his style. It wasn't a good look. It was not a good look. Oh, my. That is a stupid hat. That is a Ranger hat. But a, I see it variously mashed throughout the evening. Like, somebody, he grabbed it, and it got smooshed. But it's also not... Pharrell's too small of a guy to wear that hat. Does that make sense? You know, there's a lot of people. Oh, here's a, here's a picture of him next to the man in the yellow hat from Curious George. Nice. Uh, yeah, Pharrell and people in music and entertainment are tiny little human beings. Bruno Mars is legitim- like, legitimately almost a short person tiny. Uh, what's her name? Hayden, Hayden Panettiere. Tiny. She's a midget. Yeah. CeeLo, legitimate short person. CeeLo has, has T-Rex hands. He is a legitimate little person. He is a little person. Yes. Like me standing next to him oh. would be hilarity. Way more funny than you and I stand next to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, come on, Chapboard. These guys are incredibly talented. Yes, but they are tiny. Small, smallish little people smell like cabbage. I can't go as far as say smell like cabbage. <laughs> the, one of the greatest DJ experiences I've ever had in my life. I was DJing a private event for Interscope Records. And by private, I mean there was like 30 people in the room. Whoa. So at one point, standing in front of me yes. was Timberland. Oh, nice. Pharrell. In his, wait, when was this? 
bringing sexy back face. Justin oh, Timberland. so he was he was hot then. Timberland. Timberland. Yeah. Pharrell. Will I am. Dr. Dre. And by Whoa. standing in front of me. Whoa. By standing in front of me, all four of them were facing me because they were each giving me CDs to play of new music that they were working on because they were talking to each other. Wait about a second. It. I am I am picturing the end of the last Indiana Jones film. Yep. Or perhaps the middle of the Green Lantern film, which was terrible, by oh, the way. Then, um, yep. But something where you are visiting the High Council, and they are up on top of pedestals, backlit, so you can hardly see them, but they are speaking to you in booming voices. <laughs> Jeremy, do you feel it's appropriate to play Pharrell's disc before <laughs> the disc of Dr. Dre? I, I, that's just that's my image of that room. That's, that's basically what it felt like. All I could do the whole time, because like, they were speaking to me too, Kevin. Like We were talking about the music, blah, 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 blah. All I could do the whole time was focus on my facial expression. Because my head was like, don't look like you're cheesing. Don't look like you're cheesing. Don't look like you're cheesing. Be cool, be cool, be cool. What's cheesing? Cheesing is just like having a super huge smile on your face. Oh, like okay. a total, like, like the fanboy syndrome. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, like that was what I was trying to avoid. Yeah, that'd be tough. And I'm not a, Oof. I'm not that kind. I don't, you know, like I just wanted to shake their hands and I did. I introduced myself like that. I would rather that than a photo or an autograph. But it was. You'd rather have been there. That was like my holy grail of producers right in front of me. Yes. Oh, he would later have a song. Yeah. Well, Jay-Z. Good point. Right? <laughs> Look at you knowing some music. <laughs> wow, that's nice. And tell Sean Manzi, don't ever correct me about music again. <laughs> Wear it, Manzi. Speaking of little people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm wondering, I need to come up with a story. As we'll get to College Football Weekly here. Yeah, just a second. I just had for you. Not I need to come up with a story because I've been telling various <laughs> tales Hold on. of Brad Keller. Uh, Matt Gardhoff said, cheesing is what happens when Kevin gets near Jen Kessie. You know, when he went to give her a high five and it was awkward? That's called cheesing, Kevin. <laughs> Uh, I just wish she knew who I was as I went by. Matt Garhoff winning the Netty for 2014 already as well. Just for, Not only for the book, but for that comment. Before we get to College Ball Weekly, I'm going to relate a story that I don't think has been relayed yet on this program because we missed a week. Because I did UC Irvine against USC a couple of weeks ago. Those that caught the broadcast and were listening closely probably heard this. This was back on the 14th, so yes, we haven't talked about this. We're up in San Francisco for this event, in the studio, for an event that's 20 minutes from my house, but that's beside the point. So I'm in the studio along with my producer. We, we are not here. We were remote from the site. We get the starters from the coaches. Thank you, coaches, for sending me the starters. The starter at opposite for UC Irvine is supposed to be their new Israeli player, that they're very excited about. They say, okay, the opposite position, which has been undetermined, is going to be Tamir Hirschko. Okay, fine. They come out on the floor. In the opposite position is number 15. One would stand to reason that would be Tamir Hirschko. But no. If you look on your roster, if you look on the UC Irvine Anteaters website, if you print up anything that has anything to do with the Anteaters, yep. number three is Tamir Hirschko. Okay. Number 15 is Kyle Russell. Mm-hmm. So here comes number 15. I don't know this guy by sight. He's a freshman, for God's sakes. He comes out. We're like, okay, well, at the opposite position, Kyle Russell. Boy, Kyle hasn't played much. He played just a little bit. 
He registered in 2012, but he is playing well early in this match. Halfway through the set, I get a thing from my producer that, oh, they're telling us you're misidentifying the opposite. That's actually Tamir Hirschko out there in number 15. Okay. I'm like, seriously? I hold up my sheet. It says number three, Tamir Hirschko. Yep. I'm like, did I make a mistake? That's my first thought. Did I write down the wrong number? Am I the a-hole? Did I make the mistake? Kevin Wong next to me points at his thing. He has number three, Tamir Hirschko. I get on the iPad. Number three, Tamir Hirschko. Not number 15. I just got a note from UC Irvine because I'm about to do their second match tonight. Did you yell at him? I'll be in, and, and I'll be on site. I threw him under the bus on the broadcast. <laughs> Don't make me look bad. That's crap. I'm with you. So, yeah, Rob says it was me telling your producer. Thank you, Rob, for saving us for an entire broadcast of screwing Because you would have kept going. Yeah. How, and why, how would you know? How would yeah. I know? I'm with you. So thank you, Rob, on the mic for saving us. But I just got a note from UC Irvine saying, some players may be in different numbers. What, what does that mean? Why are you doing that? Did somebody lose a bet? Did someone pay for the number? Is that an NCAA violation? But what does that mean? Some players. Not all. Just some. <sighs> Is that even legal, by the way? Did someone forget a uniform? Oh. No. It says here, Rob on the mic says Adidas has been slow to getting unis to UC Irvine. Fine. Then you've got to tell us before the broadcast starts. So are they wearing T-shirts with, like, Sharpie number? <sighs> well, somebody didn't tell Pacific to bring their road darks or something, which, whichever way it worked. Lights are dark. So we had the next match, UCLA and Pacific. They were both in white. In white Pacific, in white UCLA. <laughs> now taking the court, Team White <laughs> versus the other team, Team White. Not nearly as bad as not having the correct jersey on. I've worn someone's shoes, but that's not going to cause a problem. Let's get to College Volleyball Weekly. I've forgotten my shoes for more than one match in my career. Probably, I think three. One in college, two professionally. Not a good thing to forget your shoes for a match. I don't know. It's like if you're a carpenter and you forget your hammer. It's not a good thing. Welcome to College Volleyball Weekly, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Net Live. This is brought to you by the American Volleyball Coaches Association, the AVCA, who ranks the teams whose services the coaches provides continuing education and a whole bunch of other things, as well as supporting this program for a very long time. We have men's season going on right now. Our own correspondents, one from Penn State, Jay Hasek, and one from UC Irvine, Rob on the mic, who I think I'm going to see tonight, Robbie Aspero. Will you be in the arena so we can get this straightened out, please? Yes, you will be seeing me, which will be really cool because uh, I thought you'd be remote again. <laughs> what the heck was that, Jay Hasek? That was Jay Hasek with Brown that, Warren Bell. That, oh, that's awesome. that's Brown Warren Bell. Barney <laughs> against UCI administration and me against Robbie. I am Shermanizing you guys today. Shermanizing. Oh, <laughs> What's going on, gracious. gentlemen? Good gracious. Yes. Jay's smoking hot wife cooking again, huh? That's right. <laughs> the bell is ready. <laughs> the dinner bell. I didn't know there was one in the house. Is that next to your, uh, to your Jay Hasek official Video game machine, the Jayinator, or whatever that thing is called. Man, I come hang out in man cave. That thing is awesome. My buddy Jason Hilbert made that for me. It is customized, has my name on it. 
Uh, it's got over 5,000 video games on it. It is unbelievable. What? So, yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, everything from Donkey Kong to Space Invaders to Robotron to Joust, and you name it, I've got it on there. It is an absolute fabulous piece of equipment in my man cave. coming to Happy Valley. Wait a second. He just said it has 5,000 games, and he named four games from 1987. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. They're all old school video games. They're all old school video games. That thing has not got any modern stuff on it whatsoever. No, no PlayStation. No, uh, no. No, it's. Oh, I'm telling you, Dig Dug is on there. It's yes. awesome. It is so much fun. So you know, when you come over and you hang out for the uh, the twenty is it 2016 we're hosting again? Is that what it is? And uh, you guys stay with me. You will be having your own apartment downstairs in the man cave, and you will have that at your full disposal. Jay, there is there is no reason that the Net Live cannot come out and, and be brought in by State Men's Volleyball to broadcast a match, do a pre-show, feature your university, and stay in your basement for about three days. There's no reason that cannot happen this year. Put it on well, the I tell you what, well, I will do my best to make something like that happen. The Happy April. Valley Palace, huh? That's right. No That's, and my no wife cooks food now. for everybody. It'll be really good. Oh man. Uh, you can't refer her as your wife on this program. She is your smoking hot trophy wife. That is her official she title. Is. She is All right. my smoking hot trophy wife. So we're on. Let's go. All right, we'll get to your designated driver responsibilities this weekend in just a moment. But first, some real volleyball coverage. Loyola Chicago, they've been creeping. They've had first place votes. This week they get enough to at least be tied with UCLA. They get 11 first-place votes. UCLA gets five, but it must have broken down with some points other ways because each one has 254 points. Loyola Chicago and UCLA split in the country and split in number one. Is that about right? Rob on the mic. You know, I would go with that because uh, UCLA has really been playing extremely well. And uh, week one, you'd ask me what, how the team has been playing well, and I'd mention the four pillars. Well, I found them out for you. I had to go back in my notes and, oh, yeah. you know, is a team the team mentality that that or the uh, the philosophy in which Sparrow had started running his teams by and is personal responsibility, effort, treat your team as family, and utmost respect for your opponent. And you can see the uh, culture of that team changing because you can see the dynamic of them playing together on the court. So they have been just rolling as of late. Um, you know, and along with Loyola, they are just running smoothly as a team. They, you know, granted. They're at a disadvantage because they don't get to see a bunch of teams that are better until later on in the season. But, I mean, they came in and then beat SC early. They beat us early. and Or got beaten by SC early, but played well. But they beat us, and they were extremely um, excellent at the pins. So, you know, I think the split is, is, is fair for now. <clears throat> so my question becomes, given the way the season has gone, who beats Loyola Chicago this week? Because you don't get to stay at number one. For UCLA, they're going to have to get picked off by UC Irvine tonight. Ooh, you know, I'd have to say Penn State is on their roster, on their schedule, aren't they, Jay? Towards the end, yeah. in Ohio State. Yep. I'm yeah, no, I would agree. I, 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 <laughs> I think, um, I think what Robbie said is actually pretty true. I, I, I think it's a fair, uh, a fair decision, given that they lost to USC. Um, you know, but they beat BYU and they beat uh, Irvine, and they, you know, they're just. You, you look at them on video, and they're just a really, really well, well prepared team. So. Uh, Loyola right now tied with UCLA at one. I think that's a fair a fair judgment. Um, if they would have beaten USC, then Loyola could, should have clearly been number one by themselves. But because they didn't, I think that's why the, the voters gave them that, uh, that tie there. 
All right, so number one, Loyola Chicago and UCLA tied there. So the number three spot goes to Pepperdine, four BYU, five USC. USC will be in action on Thursday on Pac-12 Networks, pardon me, Wednesday on Pac-12 Networks against Cal Baptist. Number six, Long Beach State, coming off a good win this week that we'll get to in a second. Seven, Stanford, eight, UC Irvine, number nine, UC Santa Barbara, and ten, Lewis. And how about that Pepperdine match? Long Beach State defeats Pepperdine, but it's 3-2. It's close. Uh, Is this... Jay, one of the best seasons we've seen so far as parity goes? <laughs> you know, we've, we've discussed it in our gym. If you're not excited as a player or a coach right now thinking that anybody can, can beat anybody on any given night, uh, then I don't really know what you're doing in the game. There, there is just <laughs> every week there's a new team that gets a number one ranking, and every week there's a bigger bullseye on their backs, and everybody's gunning for them. And it's, it's a lot of fun to watch right now, that's for sure. I mean, you, you got USC that was the hottest team in the, in the country there for a bit, and then, you know, they go in and they beat Long Beach State in three, and then they go and they lose to Cal State Northridge in three. And Cal State Northridge is not a – they're not a slouch of a team, but they're not one of those teams that people are looking at thinking they can be the hot team. So, I mean, anybody is beating anybody right now, and I think that's exciting for both the fans and for the players and coaches. You know, Jay, I just want to add that, you know, I had to measure from last season in 2013 how many five-set matches were in the MPSF. And at this time last year, there were 17 five-set matches – for this year, there are only seven, and those didn't happen until weeks three and four. So yeah. it's, it's kicking up high right now, and, and people are just knocking it off, each other off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely they are, and it doesn't matter if it's home or away. Teams are doing a really nice job of playing. So it's, uh, it's fun to watch, that's for sure. Speaking of the Matadors and the Matadome, they went from not ranked on up into the 13 spots. So they're inside that top 15 now, Cal State Northridge. I'm looking down the... the schedule here and, and or pardon me the results here and what happened during the week and UC Santa Barbara had kind of a rough week they had a rough one against UCLA although it was a win for the TV crew it was 3-0 but they had a tough time <laughs> with UC Irvine 3-2 uh, does UC Santa Barbara have enough this year to really be a contender again and get back to the form they had in 2011 Wow, that's a tough one to answer because I'd, I'd love their setter Jonah safe. You know, he just gives yep. that team so much as a blocking and, and setting. Um, <clears throat> his pin hitters, Austin Kinji, you know, they they do they can they have the potential. Um, they just uh, are not dialing in at the right time. It looks like because on paper they look like a great team, and at times when you look at highlight reels, they just can they can execute and they block a lot of balls too. So, you know, they definitely have some key strengths that, that if they ever capitalize on, they can pull off some big upsets. I mean, they, they'll be at the tail end of the MPSF, but, man, I'd hate to see them in the first round or the second round of playoffs or the tournament. Jay, why is it that I haven't heard Safe's name until the last couple of weeks And as far as the setter conversation goes, a conversation that includes Christensen from USC, it includes West of Pepperdine, and includes uh, Shaw at Stanford? Well, I think I, 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 you cut out for a second when you said the name. You saying Safe, the kid from Santa Barbara. Why is his name not come up? Is that what you asked? Yeah. Why? Why don't you hear about him in the same breath as those other three guys? Uh, well, I think he's had a, a, a year that maybe was not quite as hot uh, his first year, and so I mean the kid's a big, strong kid. What is he? Six eight, and he's. 
You know, he's a yep. he's a strong he's a kid. He, he's a workhorse, <laughs> and he's a lefty. I mean, that's that's some good recruiting there by Rick. Um, I, I think his name will become a little bit more involved in the conversations. I think he's just had a little bit of a learning curve, whereas Matt West and Christensen were both on the junior national teams, and they were playing with the national team, or at least Christensen was. And so I think that generates the conversation a little bit easier when Sife is kind of flown under the radar. And uh, I think that's that's kind of one of those things where as more and more experience starts to come around for that kid, I think he's going to be in that conversation down the road for sure. Yeah, if you went through the same era that I did along with Jay, you think that it should be Sife because of the Seifert boys, but it's actually Safe, S-E-I-F. <laughs> I don't know how you get Safe, but that's the pronunciation I've been told is correct. That seems, seems strange. Uh, now. Jay, give, give us a little bit of a report on the Midwest there, the Eva, the Miva. And and what's been going on? I see the number number eleven Lewis or then number eleven. They defeated Harvard and defeated Sacred Heart. Boy, taking out Sacred Heart, that'll definitely well, get a little rise in the rankings. <laughs> yeah, I you know Sacred Heart is an up and coming team that that's had a couple of down years there, and they're they're starting to put some things together. They're I don't think they're on the hunt yet for anything, but I think they're definitely on the right track. You know, in the EIVA, the notable matches, uh, you know, we beat IPFW and we beat Ball State in our place last weekend. Ohio State beat George Mason in three, and George Mason's kind of in a rebuilding year, and Ohio State's in a little bit of a rebuilding year, so that bodes well for the Buckeyes. Uh, Lewis beat Harvard in in, uh, four, which was a good match for Lewis. Uh, Lees McRae beat St. Francis in five. That's, uh, That's one of the Conference Carolina teams that's in the hunt for their first first ever uh, bid to go to the final four big dance. Um, Loyola beats Harvard in three. George Mason beats Grand Canyon in in five. In the Miva uh, by itself, uh, Lewis beats Mount Olive in four. Mount Olive is also one of those teams that's in the hunt. It looks like it's going to be Mount Olive, Erskine, and Lees McCray that are going to be the three teams that kind of stick out for this year for the Conference Carolinas. Uh, Loyola also beat Mount Olive in three. And they also beat Erskine, and IPFW beat St. Francis in four. So as far as notable matches, those are the ones that happened out here, and, and things are kind of shaking out a little bit. Harvard seems to be having a little bit of a rough patch after a hot start to the season. We'll see where they go. Uh, but the upcoming matches, when we get to that, uh, there's a, Princeton's going to get off the ground, and that will be exciting to see. So that's what's going on, on the East Coast and the West Coast and Midwest. I want to thank the Conference Carolinas for reporting enough scores that we pushed one result onto a second page for the men's report. So I actually had to print two pages. It's <laughs> just one for the men's report. So thank you, Conference Carolinas, Mount Olive, Erskine. I have to look up where all these schools are. My goodness. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing that, boys. Appreciate it. Hey, thank them not only for that, but for the fact that we just expanded to six teams this year. It's, it's because of them and their push, and hopefully some other schools take notice. We're, we're hopefully going to go to eight in the next three to five years. That's my hope. All right. A uh, little note on Cal State Northridge talking about earlier. They defeated USC 3-0. So Northridge, not an easy out uh, for sure. The Ridge back to being one of the teams you don't want to face. Let's look forward a little bit, boys. Let's look forward to this week. I know Robbie's looking forward to tonight. You see Irvine and UCLA. This is going to be a battle of number one and number eight. You know, uh, I'll be. It'll be interesting to see what lineup Irvine comes out with tonight. They, uh, if you were checking the set, what's that? Or what uniforms? Oh, exactly. Well, I wanted to point out, you know, they were wearing the national championship uniforms because they didn't have the Adidas uniforms for this year ready yet. So pretty bad stuff oh, there. Boy. <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, 
but yeah, we've if you notice the lineup, the only thing that's been a lock for Irvine have been the middles, uh, Marion Kevorkin and Brinkley as Libero and Saida as their setter. The pin positions are up in the air, so I don't even know who they're going to throw out at UCLA. Um, you know, for seeing Robert Page tonight, Gonzalo Quiroga and, and Odell, you know, they've been playing extremely well, and, uh, you know, this, this could be a tight one. I think all the cards are going to be shown out tonight by Coach Nithin to, to go against his old mentor, so <laughs> I well, think it'll be a really exciting note. match. Here's an interesting note. They not only play tonight, but then they play again on Saturday. This is a yeah, very they get it quick. where they play back-to-back in the same week. Yep. Yeah, you know, the, it's, the scheduling has been really odd for Irvine this year. Uh, and, you know, with the, the matches all the way, they had a six-match away stand, and, you know, and we've got a bunch of home games thrown together, and then this back-to-back UCLA here. It's, you know, I, I think uh, at the end of, the, at the end of the, this uh, particular uh, season, or the conference play, you know, I think it's, it's great for Nip, and he wants to hide his cards. He's going to throw a bunch of different lineups out. But I also think, uh, it, you know, for scouting purposes, it's going to throw a bunch of people off, too. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, interesting. And why will it throw people off? Because everything is geared towards those particular matches? Well, I think that, you know, trying to get game uh, tape to watch how, what lineup uh, Irvine's going to bring out is going to be difficult. We haven't seen a, a set lineup here, and I, it's, it's super confusing. Uh, I, I can imagine for a coach to try and prepare for playing Irvine. They've got different pin hitters at every position now. So, um, you know, it's going to be tough to prepare. I mean, I would imagine from Jay's end, uh, from the coaching end, like, okay, who are going to get game tape by? Who are going to watch tendencies, and who are they setting in, in these rotations? You know, it's going to be tough to figure out. Yeah, it's a, it's a coaching nightmare when you've got, you know, a team that's throwing different lineups out there. And it's not even necessarily the additional, uh, you know, scouting report frames or papers or whatever you're putting out there, but it's just the additional hours of watching video of somebody that you may or may not see that you feel can be a little wasted at times. But the reality is there's, there's still only four kids that they're really going to throw out there on the pins. And out of those four kids, you, you've probably got enough footage around town that you can, you can kind of put together a report that will have some information. So, but that should be an exciting match. I've, I've got a long list of them upcoming. So, Robbie, when you're done, you let me know. Oh, gotcha. Well, you know, as far <laughs> as looking at matches in the upcoming week, uh, I, you know, BYU at Pepperdine, you know, your, your alma mater. You know, it, yes. I think that's going to be a huge match because uh, the people in Firestone, that crowd, they get going, and, you know, BYU is a fiery, fiery team to play with. And, you know, I have to say, Taylor Sander this year, he's elevated his game even more. And seeing that he doesn't get the most perfect sets all the time and he's going up against triple blocks, he's got a lot of tools, and he jumps super high. So, um, you know, he's been basically doing it close to on his own with a little help from Carson Henniger, their opposite. So BYU Pepperdine against uh, Kalmbach and Taylor, I think it's going to be a great matchup. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a good match. Here are the matches i got coming up for this week that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. One of them is Princeton playing at Cal Baptist. Uh, and I'm going to go on a limb and say Princeton's going to win that one in four. Uh, Princeton's got a very nice team, and they've got some returning players uh, in the right positions. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do out there on the West Coast. They're also playing Concordia of Irvine, and, uh, and, and that's going to be, you know, we don't know what Concordia really has to offer. Maybe Robbie has some more info on that. But that's 
that's what I'm going to be watching. Uh, Mount Olive and St. Francis come into our house this weekend. I'd like to see Ball State and IPFW, two teams that are going to be battling out for seedings in their in their uh, conference playoffs. Ohio State and Loyola is going to be a great one to watch as well. Obviously, I'll be keeping an eye on the UCI and UCLA match. Long Beach State at Stanford. Cal State Northridge at Stanford will also be good. The three matches I think that I'm going to be really keeping an eye on out there are going to be BYU at USC and BYU at Pepperdine. I'm going to call Pep in four in this one, only because I don't think BYU plays well away from home. The last one that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on is Hawaii versus Santa Barbara, kind of middle-of-the-road teams. I think one is fourth and one is sixth in the conference right now. Not really anything terribly crucial in terms of their standings for the rest of the year, but it's going to be a knockdown drag out fight. And I'm going to call Hawaii in five in both matches. That's a good call, Jay, because Hawaii stretched UCLA to five in their tournament. And uh, I think that they haven't seen a, a beyond UCLA really tough opponent in MPSF play besides UCLA. So I think that's a great call. Yep. Yep, I would agree. That, that's that's going to be a fun one. They beat up on UC San Diego this past weekend, and then I think this weekend's going to be a nice test for them. So those are the matches I'm going to keep an eye on. What about Long Beach State versus Stanford? I wonder if Taylor Crabb can really carry the momentum of last year and carry Long Beach State the way he did last season. You know, I think I think Taylor Crabb, uh, when you have a nice supporting cast around you, it's a lot easier for a kid like him to be able to, to get a few more swings against an open net or maybe a you know a, a one blocker type situation. He if he's got some help around him, it'll be a lot easier. If somebody doesn't have a good night on the other side of the net, all of a sudden the, the court shrinks by 15 feet, and he's going to have a real tough time. Doesn't mean he's not going to be successful. It's obvious that he's got the tools necessary in order to be a very successful player. Just look at last year's results. That should give you any indication right there. However, uh, you know, it's, it's still night in, night out. You, you're going to face guys that are going to be going after you. If he's got some help, I think he can do it. I think he can help raise that team back up into the top of the ranks again. Long Beach State's a very good team with very good returners in the right positions. I mean, you've got a, a senior setter in Connor Albright. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, obviously Taylor Crabb. You've got some good middles that have been there for a few years. They're, they're going to be a handful, and I'm, I'm not so, we're going to see them later on this year as well when both teams are a little bit more polished. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I think Jeff Warnay and Taylor Gregory uh, in the middle for Long Beach is going to be huge for them. But more importantly, when Dalton Emmerman, their other outside, hits in double digits, that's when Long Beach is potent. Uh, Ian Satterfield chipped in in the, uh, the uh, upset of Pep uh, at the right side, and you know that was great for them. But it was the blocking game that really got them into that match. All right. Long Beach State, going to need the supporting cast. I wonder if Emmerman isn't a guy... Uh, like Schleppenbach was for Pepperdine years ago, when you knew the kills were going to come from the other players, but it was J.D. Schleppenbach who was sort of the barometer. That's a good call. Yeah, you always need those. You always need those supporting role characters to step up, and you know, even if their line is, you know, eight kills and, and two errors and in twenty swings, that's not bad. And uh, you could take the pressure off of everybody else, and, and you wouldn't necessarily be killing anybody, but you're definitely helping out your team's cause. That's for sure. All right, I got a question for you guys. In preparation for my match tonight, I need to come up with another story idea for one Brad Keller, who is wheelchair-bound, having broken both feet there at UCLA. And I just have to come up with a new one. First time he jumped out of a burning building to save a litter of kittens and a baby. Baby and kittens were okay. He broke both feet. Second time, he, uh, he threw a backflip, bailed out at 30 feet on a motocross bike. He went all freestyle motocross. 
and, uh, and broke both feet. Then the last time I had him skydiving like Johnny Utah, worked that into the broadcast journey. <laughs> Johnny Utah, uh, and kept grabbing onto someone else's chute and breaking his feet on the landing. So any, any thoughts on where we can go with the Brad Keller story here? <laughs> You know, I was thinking more. He was uh, he was auditioning for the X Men First Class as a young Professor Xavier. Oh man, well, that's a <laughs> reference right there. I don't even know if I can keep up with that reference. See, I was going in a different direction. I, I would say that he, everybody knows in, in, in the volleyball world, they all know how it happened. He was jumping rope, and they all know that. So what I was thinking is, is that MTV called him up and wanted him to become the new Eric Neese of the grind from way back in the day. <laughs> and wow. they wanted him to be the new jump the rope guy. And so he was getting in shape, training for all the jump roping he was going to do, and unfortunately tried a new trick and he snapped his ankle. See, now that's, that's the direction I was going. Not nearly as creative <laughs> as, as Robbie's, but <laughs> mine a little bit more realistic. <laughs> Man, I'm going to have to ask a good-looking guy. He can act. Though. Yeah, I mean, you had, when you had him and Presh and, and Spraw on the bench together, I mean, come on, girls sat in that gym just to look at the bench. <laughs> Spectacular. Gentlemen, thank you for your contribution here on College Volleyball Weekly. Rob and Jay checking in. Ring the bell, Jay. It's over. You got it. Spoken her trophy wife dinner, right? <laughs> That's right, gentlemen. I'm, I'm going right I'm going home right now for the uh, for the treats. I'll see you guys later. Have a good week. All right. Take care, all. Thanks, boys. Right. See, you right. See you tonight. All right, so there you go. College Volvo Weekly checking out Robin Jay. Remember, big match coming up tonight, UC Irvine and UCLA. That is the professor and the student facing off with one another. Four pillars. i got to go back and make sure I get them. I missed number two. I got effort, family, respect for your opponent. I missed number two. Rob, Rob will help you out with that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get those four pillars established for tonight's tonight's uh, broadcast. Is it the Kevin and Kevin show tonight? Who who are you with tonight? Al Skates. Al Skates. Yep, it's the Al Skates and Kevin Barnett show, which has been interesting, especially when Kevin Barnett doesn't know the substitution rules. That's a good one. Does Al just look at you with... Disdain? Al's like, you played with those rules. I said, Al, I played like 15 years ago, and yeah. I'd forgotten in men's volleyball that you cannot sub in twice at the same position. I'm used to the international where you can go uh, yeah. in multiple times at the same spot. Yeah. It's not uh, men's volleyball unique that way. Women's volleyball, of course, the substitution's off the hook. You can use as many as you'd like. Again, why is it different? It's, uh, who cares? I'm past the point of caring on that one. <laughs> really. I mean, I, I don't know why. Why did you play to seven at one point in beach volleyball? Who thought that was a good idea? Was it time then, though? Because it was side out rules. No, that was the double final. Yeah, that was all. That was all weird too. Yeah, uh, I'm looking something up here. I'm looking for the the official schedule. And mind you, I have to go to Wikipedia for this because the FIVB website you can't find it. It's buried. The FIVB website is the worst. It is the it, FIVB. You have the single worst website for a professional organization I've ever encountered, ever. You're, it's muddled. There's too much stuff on it. There's way too many tiny little links that you can't find that are buried. If I look up World League 2014, the very first site that should come up should be a homepage for the World League 2014 on your site. Instead, I click on something that's like World League 2012. Nobody cares anymore. 2014, get the schedule up there, get the tournament format up there, get the teams up there, have it clearly explained. Somebody had to go and do it on Wikipedia 
in some sort of clear fashion to indicate when the matches are happening, where they're happening, who's in what pool, and what's going on. FIVB, pull it together. Especially when everybody is coming to you for their info. It's your own product. It's your premier product. Together over there in Switzerland. Do they not have the internet and websites? Cam Kerr said the Norseka website's even worse, but I've never been on their website because... I don't need to know their information. At least that's just a regional thing. That's like a zonal, you know, you have to be really specific to look that up. The FIVB is the Federation International de Volleyball. Yeah. The volleyball thing. I'm with you. Sheesh. Now, we say it every time on the show, like, your website needs to be user-friendly. Usable. And the only reason why I keep going on that website is because of this show. <sighs> or else I would not. I would just boycott it. There are three now, three divisions now in World League. There are 28 teams in the World League, so we've been as low as 12 at times, many times 16. Now we're at 28 in three divisions. During the intercontinental round, here we go, pools A to E, that is Division 1 and 2, will play double home and away matches for a total of 12 matches per team. Okay. Pools F and G will feature two standalone tournaments per pool involving the four teams in the pool. The last ranked team of Division One after the Intercontinental Round could be relegated. It's a relegation system. It's interesting. If the winner of the final four of Division Two can meet the promotion requirements set by the FIVB. See, I don't like that. Don't, don't have it be so obtuse. Have it be, if you finish last in Division One, you go to Division Two next year. If you win Division Two, you go to Division One next year. Period. That's how relegation works in the professional leagues. Yeah. That would be better. Yeah. Uh, Division One features Brazil, Italy, Poland, and Iran in Pool A. In Pool B, it's Russia, the United States, Bulgaria, and Serbia. Ugh. Because bottom line is, you get down to four teams, it's pretty brutal. And Iran, don't sleep on Iran. They've been good lately. We chronicled their, uh, their adventures, not misadventures, in the last... Uh, world championships, picking off some good teams. In Pool B, the United States Pool, the one that most listeners of this program, United States fans, are interested in, they get Russia, which is going to be a tall task. But the United States will start out with Bulgaria in Week 1. They will start out in Bulgaria. In Week 2, they will play against Russia. Week 3, they will play against Serbia. Then they will get Bulgaria again, then, then Russia again, and then Serbia again. Now, the schedule that I have seen for the home and away portions of this thing, let me pull up my own calendar here. The schedule that I have seen for home and away is the end of May will be an away weekend. So that will be Memorial Day weekend will be an away weekend. And then there will be three home weekends in the United States. That will be June 6, 7, 8. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It will be June 13, 14, 15, and June 20, 21, and 22. So if you are planning to see the men's teams play, we don't have locations yet, but those are the three dates that I have seen. So you can only plan a little, but if you're planning it. Plan to take the time off and go somewhere to see the men play. Yep. The finals will be played the weekend of the 19th and 20th of July. Okay. The final round. And I'm looking for the host of the final round. Uh, this year. Probably the chat board is even quicker with this if our producer, B.J. Evans, is on board. But I do not have a location on this particular site. So, there you go. There's your World League report, your World League preview. Of course, the men's team doesn't get back together until basically May. 
maybe the end of April for some teams, but basically May, they'll be back together. And somebody we know who's part of the show has uh, started training for that, full-time training. No, he just sent us that so he didn't come to the show today. I don't think that's true. He's actually at home having a sandwich. He's not at home. He is golfing. Golfing, yes. He is actually out golfing. Uh, So there you go. I hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode, 2010 with the Nick Lewin episode. You know, listening to it, call Nick Lewin being much less cooperative than he was. He was somewhat cooperative with answering questions. He just basically had no answers. Yeah, which was, I mean, what do you say? You know, somebody pointed out to me yesterday, um, they listened to that episode and they were happy that we put it back up. Um, they said it was a good reminder of actually how far we've come since that happened. With the game? Yes. Because that year and even the next year, there was confusion like, is volleyball done? Like, is it going to be back? Players didn't know. Sponsors didn't know. People who owned tours didn't know. Like, it was all kinds of, I don't know, going on. Right. And that doesn't mean it's perfect right now by any stretch of the imagination, but credit has to go out to the people that kept volleyball alive during that time. Like, Albert has to get credit for starting the NVL because he was the first one to say, look, I'm doing this. We're back. IMG and Jose Cuervo. Yep. Um, kept it going for a while, and then now that the ABP um, had a first real full season last year after 2010, and it's going to have another one this year. I mean, that the fact that there's volleyball, people should be happy about, and I like to remind people that that volleyball was gone, right? And it literally started over again, and it takes a little while. Um, but it was a good reminder for me that somebody said that that they knew already too that volleyball has come a long way since 2010. Yeah. And I hope it keeps keeps going. I hope so, too. And that's what people lose sometimes on this show. They forget that we're fans. We like the sport. 100%. We would like to see the sport be successful in spite of our discussions of the reality that the sport faces. Yeah, I would not be here if I did not like volleyball. No. There there are some, some I mean, the paycheck, cold, hard realities. The paycheck I get from the show really keeps me coming back. Not to mention the working conditions. Yes, the working conditions... <laughs> You walk in the door, someone rubs the cat on your face. Yeah, can't breathe. <laughs> what if that was true? Like, I walk in, and you just took the cat and shoved it right in my face. Like, let's just get this out just of the way. Just rubbed it across your nose. <laughs> oh, that would suck for you, wouldn't it? Thanks for coming over, Jeremy. Here's a cat in the face. I, I did not appreciate, or uh, poor me, I did not appreciate the struggles that people with allergies go through until I went to Denver in August this year and had a horrible allergy attack. And I guess Denver at the From time... The- well, the only thing Air? I'm really allergic to is mold, um, but I think pollen in extreme amounts get anybody, can get to me. And for some reason, when I got to Denver, just Denver at that time, they said there's, there's allergies or allergens in the air. There's lots of allergens in the air. Then above that is Denver right now. <laughs> like, like if you there's had a scale... This, there's this, and then there's you're just screwed level. That, thank you. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's 50, 100... On a scale of 100. Yeah. Then there's 400. And then there's Denver. They said that it was like that. And, man, it just crushed me for four days I was there. A sneezing, glassy eyes. Sucks. Constantly. Runny nose. Sucks. I, during the broadcast, I'm sneezing four, five, six times. Ugh. Well, I developed allergies to cats as I got older. I was fine in, in my younger days. Hmm. Like my early 20s is when it started to affect me. Really? Yeah. Did you have a cat? I was a kid. You didn't have a cat in your 20s, and you lost your immunity. 
No, once I left the house, I did not own a cat. Okay, just checking. I didn't used to like cats, then I had a couple. I, I like them. They're fun. Your kids like them, right? They love those yeah. guys, man. They're Mac and cheese? What's the name? Ham and cheese. Ham and cheese. Mac and cheese would be equally good. <laughs> yeah, they, the kids love those dudes. Yeah. It's They're all about it. So they get upset that you use their cats to attack me when I walk in the door and shove them in my face? <laughs> if you knew my kids a little bit better, they would laugh. They would be... They're like, do it again. Yes. They'd be very excited about the fact I refuse, that I attacked Jeremy. With I refuse to like your children because one of them is probably as tall as me right now, and the other one will be taller than me soon, so yes. I, don't, I don't like them. Yes, the 11-year-old could probably spike over you right now. No. <laughs> well, maybe because I can't jump, but no. Because you're broken again. Yes. But I see that you have the Carrie Walsh physio tape on. You're I do. Set. Yep. The KT tape? I do. Did you get that free? Well, it depends on what you mean by free. Uh, I got it, your physical therapist I got it when I went to my physical therapist and they taped it on me. Yeah. All right. What else happened at the Grammys last night before we get out of here? Let people know about their, the music. Well, I didn't catch the very end of it because um, it went over the recording, but apparently Trent Reznor, who was one of the last performers with a bunch of other bands, it was a big like rock fest, um, got cut off. Really? No respect for Nine Inch Nails, huh? And uh, Trent Reznor decided to use a uh, term that rhymes with pluck, (laughs) you, on his Twitter feed towards the Grammys. He was not pleased. Yes. So I would go out on a limb and say Trent Reznor slash Nine Inch Nails will not be performing at the Grammys anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will, you know, there was lots of hype about Beyonce and Jay-Z to start the show. Like, would they? Are they going to perform? Because there was some hubbub that neither one of them really got the respect they deserved nomination-wise. And they had they had their first performance, and it was, it was a performance. The Grammys are really known for putting people together who are like, you know, they put Robin Thicke with Chicago, you know, uh, Imagine Dragons and Kendrick Lamar. So people who don't necessarily really go together, but people wanted to see Jay-Z and Beyonce together. So, I mean, it was a cool performance. I'm not a hugest fan of the song that they performed off of her new album. Um, but, you know, it, it was what it was. Why did it take the music world so long to figure out that to feature another hot artist, if you're a hot artist, is good for both of you? Because it seems like that's a recent phenomenon. Uh, Ten years. Well, what you have to look at is a lot of what happens is the record labels push it. So if you're, oh yeah, I remember asking. Okay, if I you're a Universal stu- if you're Universal Records, like yeah. you're, you're a huge umbrella. So Kendrick Lamar and Imagine Dragons paired up because they're basically under they're both basically Interscope artists. Okay. Um, but their performance, like I said, like thinking back on it, theirs was really good. I liked the Pink's performance. She got a little bit of grief for doing the high wire Cirque du Soleil stuff again because she's done that in the past, but. The fact that she is legitimately singing while doing it. while hanging from Staples Center ceiling, spinning around with no safety net, she can do that for every Grammy Award for the rest of her life. It is super impressive because she's le- like singing, like not actually singing, not listening, legitimately singing as she's spinning around at high speeds, like Mach three. Yeah, different is okay. Like if you see a live performance, it's a little bit different. It doesn't sound exactly like the album. That tells you that they're actually singing. I think for a while there, for a lot of artists and people, maybe because they didn't have the talent. Correct. But it became, we have to sound exactly the same every time. I have to sound perfect. Right, perfect. Perfect is not the point. Correct. Entertaining. As as a consumer of music and somebody who performs music live, um, do I want to mess up when I'm DJing or performing live? No. But what it does is it lets people know I'm doing it live. 
So if, I, if somebody hits a wrong note or the yeah. beat's off for a half a second, like, oh, at least I know he's mixing live. Well, and Does that make sense? You're going to put on a three-hour show. Like, and I've made this comment before. When I'm on air, and I've tried to explain this to some of the folks that don't time. know the television, yeah. three hours live TV, something's going to go wrong. It's just inevitable. Someone's going to press the wrong button. I'm going to say the wrong thing. We're going to have the wrong thing in the wrong spot. It just happens. It just happens. It's like playing volleyball. Yeah. You're, you're going to get blocked. Yeah, yeah. The question is, what do you do after you get blocked? Yeah. Not if you get blocked in the match. Yep. The question is, what do you do when there's a mistake on air? So you just roll? It's going to happen. Yeah, or do you let it affect you for a while? Any live event, nothing is ever, and all the thousands of live events I've ever done, nothing has ever gone, no event's ever gone perfect. Not not one single event. Did it get close and like people wouldn't talk to you at the end? Yeah, they're not speaking. They're like, oh my God, yeah. It's the perfect show. It's the perfect show. Um, Daft Punk's performance with... uh, Stevie Wonder. I know you wouldn't have known who Stevie was, but... I know Daft Punk. Yeah. Did, wasn't someone translating? Was it Pharrell was translating for Daft Punk at some point or something? Wasn't there... Well, someone they, told me something they don't about speak. Them? They wear helmets. They don't speak. Yeah, you don't but, know. was there some translation you, or something? You don't know what they look like, Kevin. No, that's kind of cool for them. Yeah. Ultra zillionaires, and no one knows no what one they knows. look like. Um, yes, Pharrell did the, you know, if... I was speaking for the robots. I'm sure they would like to thank their family. <sighs> their, you know, like he, he definitely did their... The Cylons. Yeah, because they just walk up there and they don't... They're in their helmets. They don't say a word. That's their shtick. Yeah. Does Dead Mouse talk? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he, you know, he doesn't always wear his... Mouse. Mouse head. <laughs> <laughs> I, I dig the fact that those guys have, like, those brands. It's pretty cool. Well, think about it. Like, the only, like, real public photos of Daft Punk was from when they first started. And since then, like... Any public photos taken of them, they have their helmets on. Um, oh, so you could research a photo of what they look like. Yeah, when they were like 18 or 19. Do they have names? Yeah. Does anyone know their names? Yeah, they're French. I, I, don't, I can't think of their names off the top of my head. So oh, like, but, okay. But I think most of the time they could walk down the street. And not, they were at Coachella last year, and before their album came out, there was a video on the video board kind of teasing their new song. Pharrell was standing next to them in the VIP area, they, and they were just in normal attire. Yeah. Nobody knew. Nobody knew it was them. Nobody knew it was them. Cam Kerr says there's one picture of Thomas from two years ago. Oh, really? Without the helmet? Interesting. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm sure there's people that know who they are, but they could walk down the street. They could have gone behind the stage it's the best at of both the Grammys, worlds right there. took the helmet off, walked out, and people would be like, oh, I'm sorry, sir, uh, where's, your, uh, where's your credential? You know? You could be Daft uh, Punk. I just won a Grammy for Album of the Year. No, yeah, sir, but where's your credential? You could be Daft Punk. I could be. Yeah, that uh, UC Irvine match yeah. at USC. Yeah. They didn't want to let Dave Niffen into the arena. He didn't have his thing on. He didn't have his credential with him. He told them they were the, he was the coach. They didn't believe him. It's like, I'm the head coach. Like, yeah, hey, where's bro. your credential, guy? But you're doing, they get, how, are they, they work for, how are they supposed to know? Dave Niffen's 19 years old. That's you true. He does, he does look like a student. Yeah, he, he's true. a student. He's a, like, come on, bro. Come he's on, just bro. trying to get free admission. Yeah, exactly. Even students pay here. Just pay 10 bucks to get into the <laughs> arena, bro. Come on. So we'll see tonight for UCI-UCLA if Dave Niffen can get into Pauly, if they know who Dave Niffen is. We'll see if he has any trouble getting in. We're well, glad. Yeah, do you think Spraw's like, yeah, if you guys, here's their photo of him. He looks like a student. Don't let him in. <laughs> Keep him out. Yeah. <laughs> well, we hope that you have enjoyed this program. Thanks for getting in and enjoying the Net Live. We want to thank Rob on the mic as well as Jay Hasek for being here. Thank Jeremy Roche for coming in in spite of the working conditions that we <laughs> bestow upon him. 
And thank you, the listener, for being a part of the show. We're still working on Tom Fuhrer. He will be on another episode when he's not feeling bad. Also working on Natalie Hagland, USC libero, who will come in and do a little co-hosting with us for fun. Really? Yeah. And Katie Charles is going to be here. Oh, yeah. Heard. KCVB is going to be here uh, next week, if I am remembering correctly. I told her um, there's a form she has to sign that anything she sees behind the scenes, she's not allowed to tell publicly. You can't tweet it out. She will be here on the 10th of February, so we're looking forward to that. Working on is that a one-off, or are we trying to keep her in the studio a lot? Oh, that's up to how well she performs. So <laughs> that's, you know, no that's pressure, good. KCVB. Uh, no pressure. True. I wasn't going to tell her, but there, it's out. It's out there. No it's your tryout. <laughs> it's your tryout. Who's the setter libero coming? Be good or go home. Natalie Hagelin. I need to look her up. Oh. That's not what I meant, Kevin. <laughs> Just so I know who I'm talking about in two when she's here. I'm going to try and get Natalie for next week. So we'll, uh, we'll continue to endeavor to have this be a great program. Thanks to the ABCA for their support of College Hall Weekly, as well as Boggle Magazine for their support of this program. And you, the listener, will be back next week with another episode. Tune in Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> I was on this one early, too, their this per- album. Their performance, by the way, at the Grammys, like, normally not everybody is standing. Yeah. But, like, everybody, like, all the artists and stuff in the front rows, they were all standing. The crowd fillers were standing. People, it was, everybody was really into this group. I'm going all the way back to Around the World oh, it's era great. with Daft Punk. For sure. I've been in, because I lived in Europe, and I was converted early. You're Europe? Yeah, at the time. Okay. Tight pants, leather. It was pretty. I didn't. I really didn't need that visual for the show. Over.